This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of drug use, self-harm, abuse, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The moon gleamed over the old Salem Cemetery in Murray, Kentucky. As the city slumbered, two figures shrouded in dark trench coats crept quietly through the graveyard. As they wove between the tombstones, the pair smiled mischievously. For them, it was a special occasion. Tonight, 17-year-old Jaden Murphy, the self-proclaimed vampire prince of Callaway County, would welcome his 15-year-old protege, Rod Farrell, into the Brotherhood of Darkness. Jaden led Rod to a tombstone at the center of the cemetery. Rod tensed and stroked the stone. He'd waited so long to shed his mortal disguise, this awkward, angry teenager. Now, finally, he would reveal what lurked beneath, ancient and powerful. Beneath the light of the moon, the granite gravestone beckoned like a profane altar. Still grinning, Jaden turned to face his devoted acolyte and pulled a razor blade from his pocket. Rod knelt before his friend and mentor, ready to be reborn. He hardly winced as Jaden dragged the razor blade across his upper arm, carving three shallow cuts into his flesh. Blood welled up from the wounds. Bowing forward, Rod began to drink and began to change. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Cults for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today, in a one-part episode, we're taking a deep dive into Rod Farrell and the Vampire Clan of Murray, Kentucky, 
As a sophomore in high school, Rod bonded with a group of goth outcasts through their shared love of a role-playing game called Vampire the Masquerade. Rod's commitment to the fantasy world allowed him to draw in a troop of troubled teens that he took under his wing. But his vampiric obsessions and thirst for blood weren't just part of the game. Rod's quest for immortality would culminate in November of 1996 with a double murder that exposed his vampire clan to the world. Though he later claimed to be an undead prince born in the 1400s, Rod Farrell's story actually began a few centuries later. Born in 1980 to teenage parents from the town of Murray, Kentucky, Rod's formative years were tumultuous. Rod's father abandoned him and his teenage mother, Sandra Gibson, within weeks of his birth. As a result, he was raised by Sandra and his maternal grandparents, Rosetta and Harold Gibson. The four of them moved often, as Harold's job took the family back and forth between Kentucky and Florida. It wasn't long before Rod suffered another misfortune. At two years old, shortly after the family settled in Winter Garden, Florida, he allegedly developed a life-threatening case of encephalitis. The condition may have had a lasting impact on his psychological development. Vanessa's going to take over in the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. According to the Mayo Clinic, encephalitis is an inflammation of the brain tissue, most commonly caused by viral infections. Complications resulting from severe cases of encephalitis can include intellectual disability and personality changes. Research conducted by doctors Carl Bechter and Norbert Muller has found evidence of a link between encephalitis and the onset of schizophrenic disorders in adolescents and adults. At the time, Rod's family didn't suspect that his alleged illness would have such devastating consequences. In 1985, the family had to move again, this time back to Murray, Kentucky. By now, Rod had developed into a five-year-old with an active imagination and was becoming obsessed with fantasy and monsters. Seeking to encourage her son, Rod's mother, Sandra, introduced him to the fantasy role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons. The boy took to the game immediately, and from then on, he could usually be found acting out adventures with his friends, Matt Goodman and Scott Anderson, in the woods behind his house. Crafting fantasies in Dungeons & Dragons offered Rod a way to escape his life at home. Now 22, Sandra regularly stayed out all night, leaving Rod home alone with his grandparents. She abused drugs and alcohol, and often spent her nights at clubs where she earned a meager living through sex work. Being separated from his mother made Rod vulnerable. He later alleged that his grandfather, Harold, sexually assaulted him on a fishing trip in the summer of 1985. Rod also later testified that, as a toddler, he'd seen his grandfather participate in a satanic cult known as a Black Mask, where he witnessed acts of human sacrifice and child molestation. There's no evidence to support Rod's claims. It's possible that he invented or embellished the story in later years. The accusations are similar to many that emerged in the 1980s, when the idea that children were being abused in satanic rituals was in the public consciousness. The media's fixation on the topic caused an outbreak of mass paranoia, 
known today as the Satanic Panic. But there's also a potential psychological explanation for Rod's memory of the Black Mask Ritual, a review of research into false accusations of ritual abuse published by the Association of Skeptical Enquiry found that beliefs about ritual abuse may be built from fragmented memories of actual abuse that are distorted by exposure to suggestive media or therapy. Though the allegations of satanic worship can't be proven, Rod's claim of sexual assault has been supported by his aunt. She also asserted that Harold molested her when she was a teenager. The details may be hazy, but it's clear that Rod suffered a chaotic, abusive, and deeply traumatic childhood. For a while, his only escape seemed to be through Dungeons and Dragons. Then, in 1991, White Wolf Publishing released a new fantasy role-playing game called Vampire the Masquerade. The game mixed the gameplay of D&D with a gothic theme and complex vampire mythology. Its guidebook was filled with references to occult literature, like the Necronomicon, the Book of Nod, and the writings of Aleister Crowley. Sandra, now 28, purchased a copy of the game and began teaching Rod how to play. From then on, Rod based all his fantasy campaigns around the rules and mythology laid out in Vampire. By this point, 11-year-old Rod and Sandra were living under his grandfather's roof in Eustis, Florida. While there's no evidence to suggest that Rod suffered further abuse at Harold's hands, his relationship with his mother did turn combative at times. Even so, Rod's life seemed to settle into a temporary period of calm until 1995. But just a few months before Rod turned 15, his life became more chaotic than ever after Sandra married her second husband, drug dealer and self-proclaimed Satanist, Darren Vraven. While it's unclear if Sandra considered herself a Satanist, she did profess an interest in Satanic literature. This was likely part of her motivation for introducing Rod to Vampire the Masquerade. At the time of the marriage, Rod was dating a sweet girl named Shannon Yoey. She attended the wedding as Rod's guest in the middle of 1995. Shortly afterward, Darren moved into the family home. Shannon began to notice immediate changes to Rod's personality. The boy she'd known as a laid-back, quiet kid started to become surly and depressed instead. This was likely because Rod's new stepfather, Darren, was both physically and emotionally abusive. In court, Darren later confessed to supplying 14-year-old Rod with drugs and alcohol. This partially explains the changes to Rod's personality. The rest of his transformation coincided with his growing obsession with Vampire the Masquerade. One of the game's central themes and core mechanics was called humanity. In the game, vampires each have humanity scores, measuring how closely in touch with human nature they are. As humanity decreases, vampires become more susceptible to the beast, the feral side of the vampiric soul that's driven entirely by rage, hunger, and hatred of humanity. Evil actions taken by the player risk lowering a vampire's humanity score. If the player's humanity drops to zero, the beast takes over, and the vampire enters a state of frenzy. As Rod's obsession with the game grew, his own connection to the outside world started to slip. 
His grades plummeted. He started wearing a lot of black. He dove deep into occult philosophy, blurring the game's mythology with metaphysical concepts cribbed from the Necronomicon and the Satanic Bible. At school, he met Janine LeClaire and Heather Wendorf, both 14, and wasted no time luring them into his fantasy world. His sermons on demonology, vampirism, astral projection, and other cult practices terrified and excited them. To these sheltered girls, Rod seemed like a brooding, world-weary prophet. It probably didn't hurt that, thanks to Darren, Rod also had access to a steady supply of drugs and alcohol. Towards the end of 1995, Rod, now 15, pushed his vampiric fantasies to new extremes. In December, Sandra entered Ron's room to find him, Janine LeClaire, and another boy sitting in front of a makeshift altar. Blood was smeared on their faces and splattered all over the floor. Rod had apparently scored his arms with razor blades, then dared his friends to drink his blood as part of a crossing over ritual. Sandra was horrified. She screamed at Rod's friends to get out of her house and accused her son of being evil. Rod calmly told her that they'd just been playing Vampire the Masquerade. He said his friends had asked him to make them into vampires. A few weeks after his bedroom blood ritual, Rod was removed from Eustace High, and the entire family, Sandra, Darren, Rod, and his grandparents, moved back to Murray, Kentucky once again. Rod transferred into the 10th grade class at Callaway County High School. Not long afterward, Darren and Sandra moved to Michigan, leaving Rod alone with his grandparents. Darren told Rod, your mother's never coming back, so you might as well get used to it. Rod dealt with the blow by rekindling his friendships with his childhood friends, Matt Goodman and Scott Anderson. All three fell in with a group of goths, led by 17-year-old Jaden Murphy. Jaden and Rod were kindred spirits. Jaden viewed the act of drinking another person's blood as a kind of spiritual communion. He knew all about vampirism and was a prominent member of a Vampire the Masquerade role-playing group called the Vampire Clan. As the leader of this group, he claimed to be known throughout Murray as the Prince of the City. At night, Rod and Jaden would gather with their fellow vampires at a house on Olive Street they called the Crypt. Each member would adopt a vampire persona, and Jaden, serving in the role of dungeon master, would guide them through a scripted scenario. Some members of the group were theater majors at the local college who enjoyed the theatricality of the role-playing. Others were teenagers from Callaway County High School who came from troubled homes. Most had a history of suicidal depression and self-harm. All felt like outcasts in Murray, ostracized by conservative Christian neighbors who associated the goth lifestyle with Satanism and the occult. The secret nature of the group and the ritual act of drinking each other's blood created an intense bond of trust among its members. They were a misfit family of their own making. Under Jaden's influence, Rod transformed from an awkward, gangly 15-year-old into a full-fledged creature of the night. 
He donned a black trench coat over Marilyn Manson t-shirts. He dyed his hair black and painted his face with white makeup. He cut class more often than he attended. At night, he and his friends stalked through the cemeteries and Rod cut himself so that others could feed on his blood. Rod began to identify with the character he had first invented while playing Vampire the Masquerade. He began to tell anyone who would listen that he was a 500-year-old vampire named Vesago, who had been born into the French aristocracy in the late 1400s. Soon, Vesago would turn toward violence, and the town of Murray would never be the same. When we return, a brutal act drags Murray's vampire clan out of the shadows and into the light. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now, back to the story. After falling in with a group of vampire role players in Murray, Kentucky, 15-year-old Rod Farrell's overactive imagination and traumatic past led him to claim he was a 500-year-old vampire named Visago. With his grip on reality unraveling, Rod's vampiric fantasies would soon start to bleed over into the real world. Rod's mentor, 17-year-old Jaden, officially inducted Rod into the vampire clan by leading him through a ritual known as a crossing-over ceremony. Under the cover of darkness, Jaden led Rod to a graveyard where they cut their arms with razor blades, drank each other's blood, and sat in silent meditation until sunrise. To Jaden, sharing blood was an act of trust and an expression of a bond closer than friendship. To Rod, this ritual might have held a darker, supernatural significance. Now a full-fledged vampire, Rod wished to sire some children of his own. He convinced his 15-year-old girlfriend, Charity Kesey, to cross over into the clan, along with his childhood friend, Scott Anderson, and Charity's friend, Dana Cooper. Rod's gang of vampires acquired an infamous reputation in the small, gossipy college town. His drug use was an open secret, and everyone at his school had heard about his vampiric alter ego, Visago. The scars on his arms were self-evident. 
While the other members of Rod's clan might have been content to get high in the woods, have sex in graveyards, and play pretend in the crypt's basement, Rod's thirst for blood was real, and his appetite was growing. On the night of October 13, 1996, it erupted. The next morning, an employee at the Murray Calloway County Animal Shelter arrived at work to find 30 dogs running loose in the driveway. The employee soon discovered that someone had cut their way in through the east side of the fence. At first, she expected to find that a group of local pranksters had broken in to free the animals. What she found instead chilled her to the bone. Inside the shelter, she discovered the remains of two puppies. Blood pooled on the floor, and someone had drawn symbols on the walls in the animal's blood. Other animals in the shelter had been beaten savagely. Some limped on broken paws. Others suffered from broken ribs. It didn't take long for a suspicion to fall on Rod Farrell and the vampire clan. Witnesses stated they'd seen a group of goth teenagers lurking in the area shortly before the break-in. April Doden, one of Rod's many ex-girlfriends, later testified that Rod admitted to murdering two of the puppies and confessed to drinking their blood. School administrators forced Rod to attend mandatory counseling sessions afterward. The counselor recommended that Rod be sent to a mental health facility for treatment. Sandra once again refused to institutionalize him. Rod attended six counseling sessions before he was expelled from school for behavioral problems. Meanwhile, the news of the animal shelter slaughter spread far and wide. The rumor mill spun the story into a satanic ritual committed by a group of vampire clan initiates, and attitudes towards Goths and Murray turned increasingly hostile. Making matters worse for Rod, he and Jaden had recently cut ties. In September, a few weeks before the animal shelter killings, Jaden had watched Rod murder a kitten. For Jaden, it had been a wake-up call. After the animal shelter killings, Jaden confronted Rod. He worried Rod's behavior threatened the entire vampire community. The arguments soon escalated, and Rod threatened to kill Jaden. In a rage, Jaden pinned Rod against the wall and made it clear that Rod was no longer welcome at the crypt. It was the last time they spoke. Though Jaden had abandoned him by October 1996, Rod, now 16, maintained firm control over the four members of his coven. They were Scott Anderson, Dana Cooper, Rod's 15-year-old girlfriend, Charity Kesey, and Charity's ex, Brian. Rod had sired all four of them by offering them his blood and drinking their blood in return. As their maker, Rod demanded fierce loyalty and unquestioning obedience. In many ways, they behaved like any tight-knit group of teenagers. They snuck out together to party in the woods. They loitered in gas station parking lots, snacking on Twinkies and Slim Jims. They also confided in each other, vented about their troubled home lives, and daydreamed about their plans to move to New Orleans and form their own vampire house. But Rod's grip on reality continued to unravel. 
and his friends couldn't help but notice. His drug use spun out of control. In addition to marijuana, he routinely used LSD, PCP, methamphetamine, and heroin. Charity loved Rod, but when she tried to talk to him about his drug use, he only evaded her questions. He often spiraled off into lectures on immortality and transcendence. He'd ramble about unlocking the seven gates of hell and boast that he'd need to kill a whole lot of people. The drugs worried Charity more than Rod's crazy rants. She'd heard it all before. She figured it was just Rod being Rod. However, his continued contact with Heather Wendorf, his ex-girlfriend from Florida, gave Charity another reason to worry. In the months leading up to November 1996, Rod and Heather spoke on the phone nearly every night. Heather told Rod her parents were tormenting her. She said she dreamed of joining his coven and wanted to run away with him to New Orleans. Two of Rod's friends at the time heard Heather joke that Rod would have to kill her parents if he hoped to take her away from them. Rod called her every night, racking up a $2,000 phone bill over several months. When Heather's parents learned of the constant communication, they forced her to cut off contact. Rod was furious. By cutting him off from a member of his coven, Heather's parents had challenged his immortal authority. The time had come to act. He gathered his crew and laid out his grand plan. They would take Scott's car, a blood-red Buick, and drive six hours to Eustace, Florida to rescue Heather Wendorf. Along for the ride were Scott Anderson, Dana Cooper, and Charity Kesey. Once they'd freed Heather and his other old friend, Janine, who was also still in Florida, from the confines of their suburban prisons, the six of them planned to travel to New Orleans. Rod claimed to know the leader of a vampire group somewhere in the city. The city was known as the vampire capital of the world. They would be free to live exactly as they saw fit, with Rod in charge as their all-powerful maker. On November 24th, 1996, Rod and his coven bought some snacks for the road at a gas station in town and piled into Scott's Buick, bound for Eustace, Florida. They drove for hours. During the drive, Rod slipped sporadically in and out of his Visago persona. He'd be fine one moment, singing along to the radio, daydreaming about New Orleans with a laid-back smile, flirting with charity. In the next moment, he'd be Visago, ranting about gateways to hell, quoting passages from the Necronomicon, and cutting shallow scratches in his arm to calm himself down. Many witnesses described seeing Rod enter similar kinds of fugue states over the years. His mother, prone to fits of anger and violence herself, described moments in which Rod would appear to shut down completely. In the midst of an argument, Rod would sometimes stop talking and go completely cold. He'd stare off into the distance for a second, and then suddenly erupt in a burst of anger. Sandra said that in this state, Rod screamed at her, threatened to kill her, and broke things. Later, he would act as though it hadn't happened, or say that he'd only been kidding around. 
According to the Mayo Clinic, these symptoms, the rage episodes followed by amnesia, the delusions of grandeur, the manic rants, the blackouts, all match those experienced by someone caught in the grips of a possible dissociative disorder. It's possible that during this ill-fated road trip to Florida, Rod was slipping in and out of a dissociative state, exacerbated by his continued use of LSD. We may never know exactly what was going through Rod's head as he and his coven made their way to Heather Wendorf's house, but Rod had been inching further down the path of darkness for months now. With each choice he made, he traded away a few more points of humanity. And pretty soon, on November 25th, 1996, the beast would wake and blood would flow. Coming up, Rod's vampire clan runs out of road. Now the conclusion of the story. Throughout 1996, 16-year-old Rod Farrell's delusional symptoms grew more frequent. His behavior became more violent and his outbursts more extreme. When dissociating, Rod believed he was a 500-year-old vampire named Visago, out to satisfy his thirst for blood. So when his ex-girlfriend Heather Wendorf's parents cut off contact, Rod took it as a challenge to his vampiric authority. He hatched a plan to rescue Heather and his friend Janine and escape to New Orleans with the help of three other teenagers he'd inducted into his coven. The four of them drove down to Florida, some growing uncomfortable as Rod cycled rapidly through dissociative states. them were more unnerved than Shannon Yoey, who nearly screamed when Rod and his coven showed up on her doorstep in Florida. An old girlfriend of Rod's, she hadn't expected to ever see him again, especially not in the middle of the afternoon, two days before Thanksgiving. Now that he was standing outside her house, she wasn't sure she wanted to invite him in. Rod looked different than she remembered. He dyed his strawberry blonde hair black. It had grown long and greasy. He was wearing a black trench coat over a Marilyn Manson t-shirt, and he and his friends looked like they hadn't showered in a while. Rod explained that they were heading to New Orleans, but first they needed to pick up Heather and Janine. He told Shannon they'd been driving for six hours, and he asked if she'd mind letting them use her shower. Shannon wasn't sure what to say, but in the end, she let them inside. While the others washed up, Rod had Shannon call Heather and said he'd pick her up at school. It was time for Heather to cross over into his vampire clan. He had it all arranged. Once he picked her up, he'd take her to the closest graveyard in order to complete the ritual. Heather would belong to the clan. When Rod got off the phone, he was energized. Shannon watched him pace around her kitchen, working himself up. Shannon asked him if he thought Heather's parents would really let her run away with him to New Orleans. Rod replied, don't worry about it. I'm probably gonna have to kill them. Shannon didn't know what to make of Rod. Was he joking? He looked serious. The others soon returned and the vampire clan left to go get Heather and Janine. Shannon figured that was the last she'd see of Rod. The rescue plan was simple. 
The clan would come by Heather's house in the evening after she got back from school. She'd pack a bag and sneak out to join them in Scott's Buick. Then they'd take off for New Orleans and begin their new lives. Plan in place, Rod led Heather to Greenwood Cemetery. Rod scored three slashes across his arm, unleashing Visago, and Heather bowed her head to drink. Rod smiled, blood coating his teeth. Heather was his. He was her maker. They would leave this place together, and God help anyone who tried to get in their way. The group were planning to leave that night. They were eager to start their new lives as a true vampire coven, a family at last. At 6 p.m. on November 25th, 1996, Shannon's doorbell rang once again. She opened the door. And there stood Rod in all his malevolent glory. He asked again if Shannon could give Heather a call. The group needed directions to her house. After he hung up the phone, Rod mentioned that he was planning to steal the Wendorf's car since the Buick was having trouble. But first they were going to kill Heather's parents. Shannon didn't believe him. And when they left around 6.30 p.m., she was glad to see them go. Heather's two-story brick house was secluded and quiet, obscured from the road by tall pines. Rod had Scott park the car a ways up the road. And the two began walking. They went over the plan one last time. Rod told his coven not to worry. He reminded them that he was immortal. The sun had gone down by the time Heather snuck out of the house with a getaway bag slung over her shoulder. Scott's Buick had a flat tire. So while the girls left to meet up with Janine at her house, Rod and Scott decided to sneak in and steal the Wendorf's 1993 Ford Explorer. They planned a rendezvous later at Janine's. Rod and Scott circled the house, peering through the windows to see if they could figure out which rooms Heather's parents were in. Heather's father, 49-year-old Richard Wendorf, sat on the couch facing the television. Heather's mother, 54-year-old Ruth Wendorf, stood in the kitchen brewing herself a cup of coffee. Rod motioned to Scott that they should circle back around to the garage. Rod and Scott had wooden clubs with them, but Rod decided a big stick wasn't going to cut it. No more fantasies. He was finally getting to revel in the thrill of the hunt. Scott and Rod entered through the garage, and Rod picked up a heavy steel crowbar. The two boys crept into the living room through the garage. Richard Wendorf had the television turned up loud. He didn't hear Rod until it was too late. Without warning, Rod smashed the crowbar into Richard's skull over and over, 22 times in all. Mercifully, the first blow knocked Richard unconscious. When Rod saw that Richard was still breathing, he used the straight end of the crowbar to stab Richard through the heart. Scott was meant to deal with Ruth while Rod took care of Richard. But as soon as Rod attacked, Scott froze. He stood there, unable to move, as Ruth entered the room carrying a hot cup of coffee. Ruth saw Rod bludgeoning her husband and attacked. She threw her coffee in his face, scalding him. She then dug her nails into Rod's cheeks. 
Rod, enraged, battered her with the sharp end of the crowbar. He ultimately stabbed her 20 times. One of his jabs severed her brainstem, killing her instantly. After murdering the Wendorfs, Rod and Scott stole some money, food, and the keys to the Wendorfs Ford Explorer. Before leaving, Rod used a lit cigarette to burn the letter V into Richard's chest. Visago had finally left his mark upon the world. When Rod and Scott pulled up to Janine LeClaire's house in the Wendorf's Ford Explorer, it was clear that something had gone very, very wrong. The boys' shirts were missing, and Heather was beginning to fear the worst had happened when Rod and Scott stole the family car. Janine LeClaire decided not to go with the rest of the group to New Orleans. She stayed behind, while Dana, Charity, Heather, and Sam piled into the Explorer. Rod waited until they crossed into New Orleans to tell Heather the truth about what had happened at the Wendorf house. She couldn't understand why Rod had taken things so far. The Covenant always thought his talk of murder and mayhem was nothing more than boyish bluster. They had never realized that this crazy vampire stuff was more than a game to Rod. But even though they were horrified by what he'd done, they stuck to the plan. Whether out of fear, loyalty, or simply because they had nowhere else to go. Heather's 17-year-old sister, Jenny, discovered her parents' bodies upon returning from cheer practice. She called the police, and within hours, a manhunt was underway. When news of the vampire clan's involvement leaked to the media, the case became a national sensation. Three days later, on November 28, 1996, Charity Kesey, Scott Anderson, and Heather Wendorf were arrested by the Baton Rouge Sheriff's Department outside New Orleans. Charity had called her grandmother to ask for money, and her grandmother had notified the police. On February 5th, 1998, Rod Farrell pled guilty to the murders of Richard and Ruth Wendorf. At 17 years old, he became the youngest inmate ever sentenced to death row in the state of Florida, though it was later commuted to life without parole. Scott Anderson pled guilty to his role in the killings in April 1998 and received two consecutive life sentences. A judge recently reduced his sentence to 40 years. Dana Cooper pled guilty on July 15th and received 171 years. Charity Kesey pled guilty to the same charges on August 13th, receiving 101 years in prison. Both Dana and Charity have since been released on parole. To this day, Murray, Kentucky is best known for its role in the infamous vampire slayings of 1996. Though Jaden Murphy and his family of vampires have long since moved away, the town still attracts a few vampire-curious visitors each year. Rod Farrell, now 39 years old, has a fiancé and is awaiting resentencing from a judge. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. 
Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Cults for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Cults on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Stephen Davies, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Cults was written by Nick Hanley, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 